I, I actually did not plan this as an Advent message. Um, it was something that the Lord uh, just kind of put on my heart as I was away in East Tennessee, and this was kind of growing with me, and um, uh, felt very, very strongly that it's the, the thing I should bring for you this morning. And then the more I looked into it, of course, it is an Advent message, because uh, that passage in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1, 2, and 3 talks about how God has now spoken to us in the coming of His Son. And that's what this season is all about, celebrating the the birth of Christ, which is the advent of God into this world in human flesh in ways that we can clearly see and understand through Jesus Christ. So if you'll uh, turn there. And uh, let's look at these first three verses. God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the world. And He is the radiance of His glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power Uh, you know as i look at uh, these verses and the thing as i was meditating upon them that stood out to me is that god is a very present god he is not distant not unlike the deist who think, yeah, there was a God, there was a Creator, He created the universe, kind of wound things up, now He's gone on a long vacation, and we're kind of, it's up to us to figure it all out. God is not distant, He is not removed, He is very present. He is involved with human beings, He's involved with us. He's not indifferent to our situation. You know, as I was praying just a moment ago for the people that, that uh, ask for prayer, and the same in the 8 o'clock hour for people that ask for prayer. We are assured uh, from Psalm 139 that God is intimately acquainted with all of our ways. That He knows our thoughts before we think them. That He knows when we sit down. He knows when we stand up. Uh, That's just the way of saying He's paying attention. I mean, I think it's literally true. But it brings home to us the reality that He's paying attention. Uh, He knows the hairs on our head. He knows how many there are. (laughs) Sometimes my mind goes in funny directions. And I was actually just sitting back in my office a moment ago thinking about, how would you go about counting the hairs on your head? And I think you'd be lost before you were like a quarter of an inch in. How would you keep that separate and figure all that out? I mean, just sometimes meditate on that when you, when you have some extra time. Nothing else is going on. God already knows the answer. And, and the point of that is that He is involved. He knows you. He doesn't just know your name, as wonderful as that is. But He knows everything there is to know about you. And He knows everything there is to know about every single person on the planet, all the time, every moment. God is involved. He is attentive. He's paying attention. He is also not silent. Francis Schaeffer wrote a book a number of years ago called He is There and He is Not Silent. And many times I think people feel that God never talks. That yeah, He's out there, but He doesn't talk to me. Um, well, I didn't have any TV while I was gone, but I set my... Uh, DVR or whatever it is, the the thing that goes with my clicker and my television. And I recorded one of my favorite programs so I could catch up, not miss any of the episodes of NCIS. And I'm not alone in that, apparently. It's the number one popular TV program in America. And so I was uh, watching some of the uh, episodes of of NCIS. There was a very interesting one where... um, there was a juxtaposition between Islam and Christianity actually in the thread of the story, which was kind of fascinating to begin with. And then they introduced a chaplain uh, from the Navy into the storyline. 
And uh, this, uh, you know, the, the comedic uh, investigator, those of you that watch it uh, know who uh, Anthony Dinozo is in the, in the script. And so at one point in time, they have uh, Tony going into the chapel. And he doesn't think anybody's looking. And, and there's been a plane crash and young people have been killed. And Tony's starting to think about his own mortality. You know, and, and all of a sudden life has become very serious for this guy who's normally a clown. And he goes into the chapel and he doesn't think anybody's watching. And so he decides he's going to try to talk to God. And he looks toward the, the front where there's uh, some sort of uh, cross symbol and whatever. And um, he begins to pray out loud. He's talking to God. And he has some questions. And he throws his questions up, and then you just hear this dramatic pause, and then Tony says, just what I thought. I didn't really expect an answer. You know, and then later on in the thread of the narrative, the chaplain says, God doesn't say very much. And, and I really think that that portrayed, I mean, the, these programs are culturally relevant. <laughs> and I really think it portrayed the, the attitude of our culture, that God is there and He is silent. But the Scripture is actually quite opposite. He is there and He is not silent. He's talking to us. He wants to communicate. He wants to connect with us. He wants to be involved in our lives, not just by observation, but by involvement and fellowship and communion. That is His nature. And He wants to answer questions. And He wants to get connected. And He wants to have conversations. And as I was reading uh, afresh the book of Hebrews and considering what the writer begins with here, it struck me how much God talks. And so I, I counted up all the words in the first two chapters that have to do with God speaking or with God saying something. And as I looked through there, I found 11 times in chapters 1 and 2, in one way or another, it indicates that God is communicating. He's talking, He's affirming, He's witnessing, He's speaking. Something is going on where God is talking. And when we look at these first, uh, the first verse, the writer says, He spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways. And my mind did a fast rewind throughout the Old Testament. Because the word many portions, that's one word in the Greek, and many ways, that's another word, single word in the Greek. See, only two times in the Bible that these two words occur. And the writer of Hebrews incorporates them to communicate to us that God used every means possible in every conceivable moment, in every way that was available to communicate with human beings. If you fast forward backwards, you know, rewind, uh, and go all the way back to um, the garden, God is coming in the cool of the day to have a conversation. And as you move along from there, you find God speaking to Noah, build an ark, gives him directions. You find God speaking to Abraham. You find God speaking to Joseph in dreams. You find God speaking through the prophets. And during the Exodus, God gives to Moses, handwritten apparently on the stones, the law. And, and when they get into trouble along the way, and Balaam is hired by an evil king to curse the Israelites, God speaks through a donkey. I mean, he couldn't get this guy's attention any other way, so as his donkey stop and talk to him. I mean, that ought to get your attention. If nothing else does, that should, like, whoa, I better pay attention here. It's not common. Actually, his reaction at first was kind of comical. It was like, what are you stopping for? And almost like he's not aware that he's having a conversation with his donkey. You know, until the Lord reveals himself. 
God spoke in dreams and in messages and in all kinds of ways. And He spoke in different types of uh, literary form. He gave poetry. He gave prose. He gave direct teaching. He recorded historical narrative to underscore the lessons and the points. In all kinds of ways, God has talked. And I don't mean to imply that God is ever desperate, because you can't you can never say that of God. He, he's never anxious. He's never worried. He's always in control. But the sense of the passage is that God is desperately trying to communicate with human beings. That He wants to say something. If only they will listen. <clears throat> and so, the writer of Hebrews says in many ways, in all kinds of portions, a bit here, a bit there. God has spoken to the fathers through the prophets, and now He has spoken to us in His Son. And He explains clearly who Jesus is. He says, after He had uh, made the world and appointed Him as heir of all things, and this Jesus through whom He has spoken is the exact radiance of His glory, the exact representation of His nature, and upholds all things by the Word of His power. Now, Phil touched on some of that last week. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail about the radiance of His glory or the exact representation of His nature, but suffice it to say that you cannot be the exact representation of God without being God. Jesus said to His disciples at the Last Supper, what do you mean, you haven't seen the Father? Have you been so long a time with Me, and yet you do not know Me? The One who has seen Me has seen the Father. We are one. We are identical in character and quality and eternity and attributes. And if you've been watching Me, you have seen My Father in action. But it says that He upholds all things by the word of His power. Uh, Greek scholars and analysts say that we cannot make too much of the distinction between some of the original words, but there are two words in Greek for the word, word. All that. The word, word, has two words in Greek. Word. Right? You didn't follow that, I can tell. <laughs> Logos and Rhema. And uh, Logos is the Word, but <clears throat> it can be any kind of Word. It can be a written Word. It can, it can be a spoken Word. It can be um, the Scripture Word. It can be a, a clear representation of a thing. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and God was the Word. It's Logos. Jesus is the perfect expression of the Father. It's exactly what that means. But Rhema tends to be um, applied mainly to speech. Spoken in the moment. And it's very interesting to me that Jesus Christ upholds the universe by the rhema of His dunamis, His power. That He is in this moment holding up the universe by what He's saying right now. This is not static. He didn't wind it up and take a vacation. This is dynamic. It's active. He's involved. He holds it together by His Word. By His spoken authority. By His declaration. God is a communicating God. And He wants to talk. He wants to talk to us. A number of years ago, when A.W. Tozer was the editor of the Alliance Life, or the Alliance magazine, he would write devotional articles in the magazine came out weekly in those days. And 
over time, they collected those into uh, series and published them as anthologies. And I don't know, there's probably a dozen or more of these books that have short devotional articles that he wrote during that period of time. And they collected them kind of thematically. And I distinctly remember the title of one of the books. It has always stuck with me. Um, and it was, it was about God's investment and involvement in our lives. And the title of the book was, God Tells the Man Who Cares. And I want you to realize this morning that God wants to communicate. He wants to communicate with us. Jesus said to his disciples, No longer do I call you servants, because a servant, a slave, does not know what his master does. I mean, some of you work for people like that, and perhaps rightly so. Corporate has a plan. You don't know the intricacies of it. Your boss just tells you, do this, do that, do this, do that. And you don't know what the whole game plan is. You're just following orders. Jesus says, I'm not calling you those kind of servants anymore, because a servant does not know what his master's agenda is. But I am calling you friends. Because I am sharing with you all the things that the Father has given me. I want you to be on the inside track. I want you to know. I want you to be a part of what my Father is doing. We want to share the plan with you. But as Tozer pointed out, God only does that if you care to listen and are interested in His agenda. People who have their own agenda are too busy with their purposes and plans to hear God clearly. And quite frankly, I don't know how much he talks to people that are not interested in listening. But if you want to hear God, and you want to know what his agenda is, and you care about it, then God is in the business of speaking. I want to tell you a short story from my time in East Tennessee in the mountains. As most of you know, because you were praying for me, the first week was not good. I mean, it wasn't bad, bad. It just wasn't what I expected. I was predominantly laid up on the sofa with my back in pretty severe pain and uh, unable to do much of anything uh, ex except uh, take pain medicine and read. So, you know, I kind of laid there for a week, um, went to the hardware store and bought a rope that I tied, <laughs> not to hang myself, but I, I, I tied it to the um, ladder going up to the loft, which happened to be over the sofa, uh, you know, one end, and so I could pull myself up when I wanted to get up because I couldn't rise out of the position. It's a pretty interesting week. And so, you know, I'm reading, and I, and I went with some questions that I had for God uh, that I wanted answers to. And so, uh, I, you know, I was hoping that while I was away, God would speak to me about some of these questions. And um, the whole week goes by. And... Uh, I haven't heard anything, you know, and um, I have a friend that pastors a church in the area, it's about 30 miles from where I was over in Johnson City, he started this church 34 years ago, he's been pastoring it ever since, and, and uh, he and his wife went to college with Rowena and me, and so um, I had called him up and, you know, told him, I said, well, I'm, I'm here in the area, while I'm here I want to come over one Sunday and attend services at your church, just visit with you. And uh, so he wanted to know what I was doing. I told him my church has sent me on a kind of a sabbatical retreat to take a month off. And, uh, you know, I'm up here on Roan Mountain. And he says, ah. He says, you know, when you come down from the mountain, they're going to be expecting something. Like tablets or whatever, you know. <laughs> no pressure there. And uh, so a week has gone by and I don't. I haven't heard anything. You know, and I'm thinking, okay, one down, three to go. Lord, I really need some answers to some things here. 
came up on two weeks. And by the time the two weeks were rolling around, I was starting to get a little concerned because I had been praying and reading, and I had some good times in the scriptures and in books I was reading, and you know, but just really hadn't heard from the Lord regarding some of my deeper concerns. But um, Jonathan had a paper due in one of his classes that I had as a major paper, and I said, you know, send it to me by emails and attachment. I'll read it for you and send it back with my comments before you turn it in. So he sent that to me, and I, there was no cell service, Wi-Fi, Internet, TV, landline. That means nothing there. Um, and so in order to do that, I had to go into town to Johnson City, which was a 25-mile drive. And so on the second Tuesday, which was exactly two weeks into my uh, stay, I drove to Barnes & Noble, found a nice cushy chair, sat down and uh, logged on to the Wi-Fi uh, to my email and opened his attachment and was reading. And a fellow came in and sat at a table near me, about as far as from me to Frank, and there were some other folks around, and he flopped his briefcase down. It's full of papers, and it's obvious that he's uh, got some work to do. And and so uh, there's chit-chat around, people stopping by. It's obvious to me that there's a little clutch of people that kind of gathers there uh, fairly routinely. And um, so during the course, because of the close proximity during the course of uh, time, uh, he received a phone call, and he was asking some questions about church. And I thought, hmm, I wonder if he's a seeker. You know, because the way he was probing, I, I didn't know where he was coming from. But I just kind of said, Lord, if, if this is a divine appointment, you want me here for a reason, just open an opportunity to speak. So I'm... Got my antenna up a little bit. As I finished up, I had a question for him about Word documents, and I asked my question, and he answered it. and And uh, he said, "Do you, uh, you know, do you always grade your papers like that?" On the, I said, "No, I'm not a teacher. I only it's only one person's papers I ever look at." And they kind of got a laugh out of that. And then um, we started chatting. I said, "Are you a teacher?" And he says, "Yeah." He says, "I said, what do you teach?" He says, "I teach sociology." And I thought, ah, so I'm looking for this opportunity, you know, to talk to him. And so here's the connection. I said, well, you know, my wife was a sociology major uh, when she first started her degree plan. But uh, then eventually she switched over to leadership and her interest is in missiology and cross-cultural communication of, of the gospel, the Christian faith. And... He goes, ah, have you ever seen this book? And he pulls this book out of his briefcase called Christ and Culture. And I said, well, it's interesting. I'm to myself, you know, we're okay, so there's something brewing here. And so we started chatting. I'm trying to find out if he's a Christian. And uh, come to find out, he, he is a very devoted follower of Jesus Christ. And uh, in retrospect, I realized that his phone conversation, he was probing the person he was talking to to clarify their goals and objectives and attending church and, and whatever. And as we got to talking, we talked for about an hour and found out that we were very much on the same page. He was a very committed Christ follower, and God had called him in a university setting as a professor of sociology at ETSU, and God had called him in that setting to to take his role and use it as a platform to speak into the lives of young people attending university. And uh, he said, I love reading essays because I, I, in sociology I get into their heads and I, I understand where they're coming from. And so we talked for a bit and I told him I was there on a retreat and I was there for a month and I was kind of halfway through and whatever. And, and um, I was kind of excited to meet somebody who was youngish, 28, 30-something doctor of sociology. You know, here's the next generation, and he's looking at this old guy with a gray beard, and, you know, and, and we're having this conversation. And um, as I was wrapping up to leave, he said, I just want to encourage you in the Lord. Started out just kind of very low-key like that, and he said, and I want to encourage you because I just feel like God wants to do this. 
and God wants to do this, and God wants to do this for you. And he did not realize that he was going down my list of questions. He was speaking to me the answers to the questions I had been asking. And I thought, isn't that so like God? I mean, have you ever asked God for guidance or information and you feel like you get an impression and then you start to implement it or you get a a little way from the moment and you wonder, did I get that right? I mean, did I hear what I thought I heard? Or you implement what you thought you heard and things just totally fall apart. It's like, am I on the right path? I mean, where did that come from? And sometimes the enemy brings doubt in and stuff like that. And I thought it was so precious of God, so so cool, that important questions that I needed some answers to, he did not simply give me an impression in my mind, though he could have. But what he did was he orchestrated a divine appointment and took me not just to Tennessee, but to borders, to a specific chair, to talk to a person that I thought I was supposed to witness to, who instead had God's message for me in a way that I could not rationalize away in the future. I went back to the chalet that evening. I had to do laundry. I put the clothes in the wash. And I sat down and journaled and and wrote down all the things that I had heard. And I knew that God was speaking. And that's what stimulated the thought that God is a speaking God. He wants to communicate. He wants to talk to us. He does not want to leave us groping in darkness. He wants to give us clear direction. And He wants to speak living words into our lives and the lives of others. You know, I kind of floated back to my chalet that night, all 30 miles. Reminded me of what Jesus said to His disciples when He was so tired that He couldn't even go to town to get something to eat. And he said, I'm just too famished. I'm going to hang out here by the well. You guys go buy some food. Bring it back. And then God sends this woman along, and Jesus begins to speak to her living words. The Father operating through him. And she is getting life. And when the disciples come back, They say, you know, basically we have this food, and Jesus says, (laughs) I have food to eat that you guys don't know anything about. And, you know, they're like, like, uh, did somebody else bring him food? And where did he get this food? And Jesus says, no, no, no. It's this living encounter with my Father that has rejuvenated me and given me life. Friends, when God speaks the rhema, the word, in the moment, the dynamic word, it's life-giving. It rejuvenates. It revitalizes. It brings joy. I have connected with the living God. And that brings joy and blessing. Now, in your bulletin this morning, there's a green sheet... Hopefully you haven't used it up yet, but if you have, you don't need the numbers. But they will help if you still have it blank. Take your green sheet. Does anyone need a pencil or a pen? Would you raise your hand and we'll try to get you one. Ryan, thank you. Um, I want you to take your green sheet and uh, work with me here a moment, okay? I'm not going to ask you to turn this in. There's no grade, okay? This is to yourself. But here's what I want. I'm not, I'm not checking papers at the door either, you know. But here's, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to take the screen sheet. 
it's numbered one to ten. Uh, you may only have four or five or six, but I've given you ten spaces because I don't want you to go beyond ten. Actually, uh, someone asked me from the first hour, did, did, you, did you hear about this at some church you attended? Uh, let me make this really clear. I did not hear about this anywhere except the Lord put it on my heart to do with all of us. I'm going to explain that in a moment, but, but I want you to know this is from the Lord. And I don't want you to put down more than ten names because that's what I felt we should stop at is ten names. I want you to write down the names of the people outside of your immediate household. Now, they're not to be excluded, but you, you can put those in a different category in your prayer life. I want you to write down the names of the people that you see on a regular basis. Every week, every day, every month. The people you see on a regular basis outside of your immediate family. Could be neighbors. Could be the same server at your favorite restaurant. Could be the cashier at the grocery. Could be someone you work with. Just write down names of people that you interact with. You know, you say, only people I ever see are church people. Okay, write them down. Write them down. No more than ten, but up to ten people that you see regularly outside of your immediate family. Now, all of you have to have at least a few because you didn't land here in a spaceship and you won't leave in one when the service is over. You live in the world. (laughs) There's somebody that you connect with on a regular basis. Take a moment and do that right now. Whoever brought me this water, if you offer a cup of cold water in my name, it will not be forgotten. I just want you to know you have done a deed that will be recorded eternally. That, however, better be God. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Okay, now, if you have your names down... Here's the next thing that I want you to do with this. I want you to go down your list. If you're still working, it's all right. Just kind of stay with me and and follow through the exercise. I want you to go down your list, and I want you to circle the number beside each person that you know they're a follower of Jesus Christ. You've heard their faith story. You know they're a Christian. You know they're saved. Just circle those. It occurred to me after the first hour, just as an aside, that if all the names on your list are circled, you need to maybe pray that God will put some unbelievers in your life. But that's not a plus or a minus at this moment. But anyway. Now, I want to tell you some things about the people that are on your list that I know to be true from the Scriptures. First of all, the people that you have written down and by whose name you have circled the number. The followers of Christ. Here's what I know to be true about those people. And, and, and this is generally true about all of them. First of all, God loves them. God loves them. God so loved the world. God loves them. And what I'm leading toward, but what God really put on my heart as He spoke to me, and as I read Hebrews uh, over and over, is that God wants to speak to every person 
on that list about his love. He loves them and he wants to communicate with them. For those who are followers of Christ, God wants them to grow up in Jesus, to become mature. The Apostle Paul in Colossians said, And we proclaim Him, admonishing everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone complete in Christ. And for this purpose, I labor, striving according to His power, which mightily works within me. As you read the letters of Paul, he prays for the Ephesians. I pray that God would give you a spirit of wisdom and, and, and knowledge uh, that you may have a, a full understanding in your spirit, that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, what is the surpassing greatness of His power toward us, which was demonstrated, by the way, in the resurrection. In Ephesians chapter 4, I want you to grow up to be mature people, uh, bonded together with the love that is the cement that holds the church together, and that you would not be tossed to and fro by the trickery of men and craftiness and deceitful scheming, but growing up in all aspects unto Him, that you would be filled with the knowledge of God and not be tossed to and fro by every wind and wave of doctrine false teaching, popular ideas, that you would be steady and true and, and, and that you would become a father in the faith. Uh, Pete, John tells us about that in his first letter. I write to you children. I write to you young men. I write to you fathers. There's growth. There's progression. We've talked about that before. God longs for every single person who knows Him to grow up in Christ. In the book of Hebrews, if we were titling the book today, we would not call it the letter of, to Hebrews. We would call it Disappointment with God. And the reason we would call it that is these people who had turned to foul Christ found out that the Christian life was not all they had anticipated. It had become costly. They didn't get wealth and health and happiness and, and, and all of those kinds of material blessings. They got persecution and trouble and job loss and economic distress. and They got trouble because it's costly to follow Christ. Somehow in our culture, we read over all that stuff in the Bible. Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. You know, and say, well, that's not compatible with what I think the faith should be, so I don't like that part. Well, it is true. And, and the Hebrews did not get what they thought they were supposed to get. And they were frustrated and considering giving up the faith. And, and this letter is really a sermon. And the point of writing it is to help them grow up in Christ. To help them become mature, to help them become stable, to help them become consistent. When uh, troubles and difficulties come into their life that causes trials, uh, the, he says God is working in your life to bring discipline. Not punishment, discipline. The kinds of things that will help you grow. And, and as you see the days getting more difficult, get together more often. And consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. How to grow up in Christ that you can be consistent. So, so you see, it's all through the Scripture. For those who are followers of Jesus Christ that are on your list, whose names you have circled, God wants every one of them to grow up to mature men and women in Jesus Christ. To be faithful followers who are consistent, stable, day in, day out, solid with God. That's what He longs for. Because there is the place of joy and blessing and the abundant life. And that's God's desire for them. That's true from the Scriptures.
Now, for the people on your list that are not circled, God's heart's, God's heart's desire for them is that they be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. We're told that very clearly in Paul's letter to Timothy. God who wants, longs for every person to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Peter said that's the only reason Jesus hasn't already come back. God is not slack concerning His promise. He's going to fulfill everything according to His Word. Every T will be crossed. Every I will be dotted. Nothing will be left undone. God is faithful concerning His promise. But He is long-suffering. He is patient, not willing that any should perish. The very reason that He is waiting until the appointed time is to give the last moment for the last opportunity for the last person to come to faith in Jesus Christ. And all other considerations and prophecy aside, I can say with relative assurance from the Scriptures that when the day comes that that last person who will ever trust Jesus Christ does make that decision, the heavens will be rolled back, the trumpet will sound, and Jesus will come. Because that's His promise. It's the only thing He's waiting for. And so for everyone on your list who is not a follower of Jesus Christ, God loves them. And He longs for them to come into a relationship with Him. He wants them to know Him. And in both cases, in both cases, God wants to speak to them. You realize what an ambassador is. We live in some pretty crazy times right now, and a lot is happening on the world scene and uh, sometimes we hear about our ambassadors in this country or that country, uh, you know, foreign country doing whatever. You realize ambassadors do not speak off the cuff their own opinions. They communicate the official word of the United States to foreign powers. They exist within a country as the voice of America. They, if there's not a clear foreign policy already outlined that they can follow within those parameters, and a question arises that they do not have an official answer for, they contact the State Department. They do not speak their own mind or give their own opinions. They are there as a representative to give the official word of the State Department under the authority of the President of the United States and the foreign policy that has been established by the administration. I say that to say because ambassadors are not asked to interject their own thoughts, ideas, and opinions they are asked to communicate a message that comes from the authority. A message designed for the receiver, the recipient, the foreign nation, or the foreign person. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says this, verse 18, 2 Corinthians 5, 18, Now all things are from God who reconciled us to himself, through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Twice that is said. The ministry of reconciliation and the word of reconciliation. To reconcile means to, be, to bring back into unity. To, to, to get on the same page. To be one again. To walk together. And the message of the gospel is, though your sins have separated you from your God, God has given Jesus Christ as the atonement, the covering, the cleansing for your sin. 
And if you will reckon with your sin and acknowledge it and confess it to Him and turn from it and turn to Him, God has opened the way to come back into communion, into fellowship. And He has given to us the ministry of communicating that message. The word of reconciliation. Verse 20 says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were entreating through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So, three, four things, one overriding, three things I can tell you about your list. From the Scriptures, this is true. God loves everyone whose name you wrote down. For the believers, God longs for them to grow up and mature in Jesus Christ. For the unbelievers, He longs for them to come home to Him, to know Him. And for you, you are their ambassador they are the ones he has put in your life they are the people you see it may be a boss you can't stand it may be a neighbor who drives you crazy it may be some clingy person that won't ever let you go it may be your best friend it may be a server at the restaurant where you go there was a fellow at the McDonald's up in town, um, Hispanic fellow. He um, was one of the friendliest, warmest, happiest guys I think I've ever met. I kept thinking to myself, McDonald's corporate should hire this guy to teach everybody how to do the window. I mean, he was just fun to encounter in the morning. I looked forward to seeing him. I learned his name, called him by name. Can't have deep conversations at a drive through window. But, uh, but I saw him several days a week, you know, and because uh, I get my sausage, biscuit, and coffee. And there he was. And I just, I just loved seeing him. So much fun. It may be that person for you. Maybe you don't even know their name. You know, but it's someone you see on a regular basis. God loves them. God wants to talk to them. Now, I, I'm not wanting to put you under any pressure or any kind of bondage. There is no stress here. I don't want you to think about, okay, I got this list. Now I got to think of how I can. I know what he's going to say. Now I got to think of how to witness to them. Uh-uh, that's not, I, I do not want you to go there. This is what God put on my heart to tell you. I want you to take it in that spirit. You have potentially ten people. I want you to take one minute, as many days as you can, every day that you can. I don't even want to get you under some sort of bondage that, oh my gosh, it's Thursday, I missed... What do I do? I don't want to put you under any guilt. Every day, as much as possible, I want you to take the people that are on your list and spend one minute praying for them. One minute per person. And I want to ask you something. How simple can it be? There's only ten names max. That's ten minutes. You can do that driving to work. You can do that taking your shower. You know, you got ten minutes. I feel very strongly from the Lord that I should encourage you to take those names and spend one minute. Don't, don't watch your watch, okay, but spend one minute praying for them every day that you can. And here are the kind of things that I think that we should be praying because I'm doing this as well. 
Pray for opportunities to speak to them about spiritual realities, for bridges and for openings. Pray for opportunities, bridges to speak into their life. I want to take you back to my conversation <coughs> with Jeff, Dr. Smith from ETSU. When I heard him talking about church, I started praying for him because that could have been a divine appointment. I didn't know what I was praying for. I thought maybe he needed Jesus. And when he told me he was a professor of sociology, I had a bridge because Rowena had been very interested in sociology as a college freshman. So there was my bridge. But if I had just simply said, oh, my wife started out as a sociology major, that would have been the end of the conversation. But it gave me the opportunity to say, but she finished up because she had an interest in cross-cultural ministry and mission, sharing Christ in different cultures. Now, that could have been the end. Or it could have been the opening for a conversation. Here's a sociologist. He's interested in cross-cultural ministry, even if for no other reason than to shoot it down and say, you stupid people, you're messing up the world. Okay, that's a conversation. I'm game for that. Just give me a conversation. So ask God to give you bridges. Don't Go looking for them on your own. Pray for them. Because there will be God moments when you pray for them. Secondly, is God putting something on your heart to pray specifically? You know, ask Him. Lord John Doe's on my list here this morning. I want to pray for him. I'm just wondering, Father, is there anything that you want me to pray for John? And just go with the flow. What comes to mind? I mean, you can't go wrong praying, okay? Don't get, don't make this hard. But if you sense something, pray for that. And then, thirdly, is there any scripture that you know that fits something in their life that you can pray for? And again, you know, because here's what's going to happen. If you will take these names and you will spend one minute a day praying for each of them, they're going to be on your mind. That's part of God's work. And when you read your Bible, excuse me, when you read your Bible, he may say, Ooh, remember John Doe? This verse fits. Okay. Next time I pray, I'm going to, I'm going to pray this. Chances are you'll just pray it right then. It's kind of cool how that happens. Okay? So, ask for God to give you opportunities. Bridges. Ask Him if there's anything He wants to do in their life. Ask Him for things from the Scripture that you know fit their circumstances as best you can tell. That's it for the prayer portion. Part B is... Look for the opportunities that God gives. Tim Westergren has a, has a great saying, and, uh, and, and I think it fits here so well. So many times when we talk about witnessing, you know, we think about a witnessing program. Okay? I got to come learn this stuff, take this program, and then I got to go out and do it to people. You know, and then we go out and primarily we pick people we don't know. For one thing, they're safe. We'll never see them again if they slam the door in our face. And, and we do this thing to people. And, and, and without, well, I guess I am dissing and I can't get around that. that. That is a lot of human effort and program and work. And, you know, and I, I'm not saying God doesn't use it. He does. But even Billy Graham acknowledged that probably only 10 to 20% of the people that came forth at his crusades had made a genuine decision for Christ. I mean, you can create a situation where the emotion of the moment 
leads people to do something, but not all of them are making genuine decisions to follow Christ. God will use the chance encounter. But I'm not talking about a witnessing program here, please. The people that you put on your list are people that you see all the time. And the quote that I like from Tim is, to build bridges of trust that will stand the weight of truth. God may want you to say something to someone that's hard to say. And many people would reject you. But if you have built a bridge of trust and they know you love them, chances are they won't slap you. Chances are they will at least consider what you have said. Bridges of trust that can stand the weight of truth. Look for the opportunities and when you see an opportunity that you just sense, listen, this is the Holy Spirit's work. Again, I do not want to make this difficult. This is the Holy Spirit's work. God has put it on my heart to share this with you because He wants to do something. He's not going to let us down. So when, when you are praying and you are looking, you're not going to miss it. You know, God's going to say, this is it. And you just say whatever comes to your mind. Whatever He gives you, in the just natural. You know, you don't have to form, oh, is this a time to get in the Roman road? What's natural? You know, people don't typically start with the Roman road. They start with, my sister has just been diagnosed with cancer. That's where they start. Can I pray for her? Hardly anyone will tell you no. I don't know. I'm just trying to, to open your mind to the fact that the Holy Spirit will cause you to recognize the moment and He will fill your mouth and you will not necessarily know that He's doing it. Until after the fact. Sometimes you know right then on the spot. Sometimes it's later. Jeff did not know that he was answering the questions on my list. He was telling me what he was sensing from God by way of encouragement. He had no way of knowing because I had not told him. He had no way of knowing that he was answering the questions on my list. He did not know how clearly God was speaking through him in that divine moment. But it brought life. I'll tell you a story. Uh, uh, good grief, I need to quit. Um, I'm back. <laughs> Nursery workers are going to hang me. So I'm ending with a quick story. All right, here's a quick story. Several years ago, a gentleman came to see me. There was trouble in his life. He wanted to talk to a counselor. Up front, he admitted he was an atheist. We had a couple conversations. Long story short. We had a couple conversations. I went for a period of time, didn't see him, and then one day I saw him, and he said, I've trusted Jesus Christ. I'm following Christ. I said, wow, how'd that happen? And he said, well, we were talking in your office one day, and, and you said da-da-da-da-da, and I just knew that, I, you know, and that's, that led me to Christ. <laughs> oh, really? I didn't even know I was witnessing. But what was happening was, in the divine moment, as I was praying that God would use me, living words were spoken to his heart that caused life to be born. And in time, he came to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And I didn't even know it had happened until he testified to it. All right, that just blows all the witnessing programs out of the water. But God does what God does. And what I'm, what I'm telling you to do, by the word of the Lord, is take this list, one minute a day, ask God to work in the lives of these people. You are the ambassador. God wants to speak living words into their life. He loves them. You are His messenger. And when you see this happening, you are going to get so pumped. You're going to get so excited. 
Because the living God is going to be right in your face doing his thing. And it's going to fill you with joy. That is the abundant life. To be right where God wants you to be, doing what he wants you to do. And it will be so neat. And I want to encourage you. The Lord has has given me assurance that for those of you that take this challenge and put it by faith to practice, he is going to honor it. And you are going to see amazing things. Father, I want to ask you to use this for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.